0: Greetings also to those watching online. It's a beautiful day today. We have the doors wide open here. Cool, uh, light humidity, air is flowing through. Wonderful uh, to see you and to be with you. Our passage today is the first of many warning passages in the book of Hebrews. You're going to see it time and time again. I think six or seven different times Throughout the book, scattered here and there, I hope it won't get old for you, but uh, the Word of God has given us these warnings for a purpose, uh, because we need to be warned, right? And today the warning is to do not drift, do not slip away, do not meander off the path, the narrow path, don't get onto the broad path that leads to destruction, do not drift. Let me see if I can provide a a way into this text by uh, reminding you of what you're supposed to do when you come to a railroad crossing. You learned this when you were a kid, especially if you're on foot or on your bicycle. You are supposed to stop, look, and listen, and then you can cross. Why, do, why is that a, 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 a proverb, why is that a common sense for uh, crossing a railroad crossing? Because we don't want to get smashed. There's danger, accidents happen <laughs> at railroad crossings. Well, the Bible, this passage, uh, gives us the same advice. Uh, stop, look, and listen, or we're going to arrange it, listen, look, and stop. The danger, of course, is not a railroad uh, crossing. The danger is drifting from our most holy faith. Drifting away. That's what it says, right? In verse 1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. First of many, warning passages, do not drift. Pay close attention, be careful, watch out. You don't want to get smashed uh, spiritually. The, uh, the word uh, drift in secular Greek literature from the ancient world, the word drift was used to describe a ship that was coming into harbor aiming for the right place, trying to gauge the currents and the wind, but then the current got it and it drifted past the harbor. And once you go past, what do you do? You can't really turn around and go back. You have to go way out to sea and circle around. Do not slip by, do not drift. The word can also be translated slip. Don't let these things slip. Um, Some translations, maybe the one you're looking at, uh, uses that word. And in secular Greek literature from long ago, it was used of a ring slipping off of someone's finger. Don't let the faith, the gospel, the truth slip. Hang on tight. When I was in college, I was wearing my high school class ring and my friends and I were uh, throwing snowballs at each other. It was a beautiful sunny day like this, but there was snow on the ground. And I guess, you know, the cold of the snow had shrunk my finger, so I remember sending my fastball, and my ring just flew off my finger. Luckily, I saw it in the sunshine, glittering, and I saw the, the general area where it landed, uh, even though it, embedded itself in the snow I was able to find it and the Bible says don't let your faith slip don't let it drift maybe you've been swimming in the ocean maybe you're splashing and maybe you're body surfing or something riding the waves and you're having a good time but then um, you look up and you look to the shore and you don't recognize anything Uh, You don't see any people that you recognize. You don't see any landmarks. Uh, Your family's a red and white beach umbrella. Like, where is that thing? Because the currents have taken you. You have drifted. Now, hopefully, as you head into shore, you'll be able to figure it out and you've got to go this way. But uh, if you've drifted too far, um, you're lost. Do not drift, don't let it slip. And the Bible gives us this warning. Do not drift away because the danger is real. The danger was real in the first century. You know, the author was uh, warning the, uh, the recipients of this letter, Hebrew Christians, and nothing has changed in 2,000 years. The warning, the potential danger is true for us also. I have given you in years past uh, an example of drifting. Let me give it to you again. Some of you may remember uh, the story of Charles Darwin, the great, brilliant uh, scientist. He was uh, born into and he was raised in a conventionally Christian home in Victorian England. He was a son of a clergyman. He himself thought of entering the ministry uh, for a time as, you know, one of the uh, gentlemanly professions. But while he was traveling the world on the HMS Beagle as a naturalist, he developed his theory that species develop over vast epochs of time. Today we call it evolution, natural selection. He developed this theory. And that led him to reject the Genesis account of creation. Uh, God created everything in seven days. Of course, he was interpreting those days literally, seven 24-hour periods. But he, he said, I can't go there. I don't believe that. Eventually, now this is all taking time. Eventually, that led him to reject all of the uh, miraculous stuff in the Old Testament, you know, the the pillar of cloud and fire and all the the miracle stuff. Eventually, this is taking years, he rejected the Gospels because of their supposed uh, discrepancies in these supposed eyewitness accounts. And by the end of his life, in his autobiography, he says... I gradually came to disbelieve in Christianity as a divine revelation. Disbelief crept over me at a very slow rate, but was, at last, complete. The rate was so slow that I felt no distress. And so the word of God... Be careful. Do not drift. Don't let it slip. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, I assume you know people that have drifted. I mean, this, this, this is common. I could name, if I thought about it for 14 seconds, I could name a dozen people in my, from my own circle, my own life. The danger is real. It's not hypothetical. I went to a very conservative Christian college, and one year I had a roommate. who was a really good guy, really nice guy. Every weekend, he would be out doing what we called "extension." you know, ministries in the local area, ministry in local churches. He's very zealous for the Lord. And a number of years ago, I ran into another roommate from that same year. And I said, hey, what do you know about, you know, this first roommate? And he told me that that first roommate had become a member of a cult. Well, how did that happen? It didn't happen overnight. It was a slow drift. And so the Word of God says, be careful. This, is, this isn't just theory. This isn't just a hypothetical, you know, theological exercise that we're doing. Take the warning to heart. A number of uh, headline uh, uh, evangelical pastors and leaders have departed from the faith. Have you been following the headlines? I don't want to mention their names today because we don't want to use the pulpit as sort of a public gossip session. I'm just letting you know, it happens. And so the word of God says, listen up, look up, stop your drifting. What causes us to drift well, the passage doesn't say, it just gives us this, <laughs> this straightforward warning. But other parts of scripture suggest drift occurs. Can I give you a couple of things that cause it? Uh, number one, um, persecution. Remember Jesus' parable of the seed, the farmer sows the seed, the seed is the word of God, and the seed falls on four different kinds of soil, remember that parable? Some of the seed falls here and it springs up, some, one type of soil is kind of rocky soil, and it, uh, and, and the seed springs up, but then soon after that it's choked by thorns and weeds and thistles. And then Jesus explains, the thorns that choke the seed are persecution and the cares of the world. I don't know if you're being persecuted or what level of persecution you're facing. It's probably kind of minor, but but the pressure can be there and it can cause us to say, forget this. Forget this. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't think I was signing up for this. Jesus said it can happen. Another thing that causes us to drift is money. Does that surprise you? Did you know that that's taught in the Scripture? For example, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. They think, wow, money, money is great. I love money. It's worth any sacrifice. It's worth any compromise. Money is more important to me than anything. And money becomes their God. I don't know that the Hebrew Christians We're being tempted to drift because of money. They were tempted because of persecution. But even in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, we'll we'll get there months from now. Chapter 13 says, Let your character be free from the love of money. So be careful. Let me give you one other uh, factor, uh, uh, a cause of drifting, and that is bad companions. Uh, Poor choice of friends. The book of Proverbs says that a companion of fools, that means hard-hearted scoffers, those who reject God, the companion of fools suffers harm. And one of those harms could be drifting from the faith. People think, wow, I'm finally accepted. I finally have friends. Uh, I will do anything to keep these friends. I don't care if they pull me down, as long as I go down with them, they are more important to me than my conscience, my integrity. Uh, they're more important to me than the faith. So be careful. Examine your heart, examine your life so that we do not uh, drift. Okay, so in light of the fact that the Hebrew Christians were in danger of drifting and historically we see, you know, people like Charles Darwin and today we could name our own examples in light of the fact that this does happen and could happen to us, our passage says, Listen, look, and stop. Did you notice the emphasis on listening? I put it in different font here for you. Uh, We must pay closer attention to the things we have heard. Uh, The the message was declared by angels, and it proved reliable. Verse 3 uh, this uh, this salvation was declared uh, at the first by the Lord, to those of you who heard, to those of us who heard. Listen, listen. Sit up and pay attention. Let me explain here. Um, uh, the, the author of our passage is arguing from the lesser to the greater. It was a common way to reason, Uh, in uh, 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 the the teachers of the day, the rabbis. We still use it today. He argues if this is true, then how much more is this true, lesser to the greater? So the the argument is, look, the angels declared the word of God. I think he's talking about the Ten Commandments. Tradition says the angels delivered Moses on the mountain and all of that. The, The angels declared this word of God And if their word was reliable, and if breaking their word uh, uh, met with retribution, you know, uh, uh, breaking the covenant and and punishment, how much more? How shall we escape verse 3 if we reject the word of Jesus, lesser to greater, We pay attention, we we listen, we we heed the word of angels. How much more should we heed the word of Jesus? Last week, Pastor Jeff uh, preached on uh, chapter one, Jesus is superior to angels. Do you see how that passage is leading into this? Wow, angels are great ministers of God. Jesus is greater than angels. And here he pulls it all together. Therefore, listen to him, listen to him. Don't drift, pay attention. So what does it mean uh, to, to pay attention to his teaching, to, to, to his, the Word of God? Well, what did Jesus teach? Let's take the most famous verse in all the Bible. For one example, for God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the word of the Lord. God sent his son. We need to believe in him so that we won't be condemned. We'll have everlasting life. Hang on to that. Believe that. Base your life on it. It's called the gospel. Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, 1500s in Germany, called that verse the gospel in a nutshell. It's the whole Bible in, in one verse. Don't let it slip. By the way, keep reading there in John 3. uh, That's 3.16. Verse 18 says, uh, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. How shall we escape if we turn our backs on that message, how shall we avoid condemnation? And so the author says, if we pay attention to the word of angels, we better listen up to the words of Jesus. And notice that this, uh, this message was declared by angels. See there in verse 3? Uh, verse 2 first declared by the angels then in verse 3 it was declared by the lord and it was attested by those who heard these are the witness witnesses the the eyewitnesses the people that walked with jesus you know the apostles those who see the author of hebrews had never met jesus And certainly the recipients of the letter had never met him, just like you and I have never physically, you know, met him. And so we are relying on the word of eyewitnesses, those who did see him, walk with him, listen to him, saw the miracles, listened to his teaching. Peter put it this way, we did not follow cleverly devised myths, When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father who said, this is my beloved son. Peter's referring to that experience. They had the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus' clothing was uh, transformed and he was gleaming white and the voice came out from heaven. This is my beloved son. He said, I was there. I was there. I heard it. I saw it. God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice come from heaven, born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. He said, I'm a witness. And you and I are built, and the church is built on the foundation of the apostles, the eyewitnesses. John, the apostle John, put it this way that which was from the beginning, that's the eternal Son of God, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, this eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. In First John there, there's a progression. He says... Um, He says, that which we have heard. Sort of over the brow of the hill. What is is that? We hear echoes and teaching and prophecies of the prophets in the Old Testament. I, I, I heard about this guy. And then over the brow of the hill. That which we have seen. And then the next one which we have looked upon. It means gazed. Getting closer and closer. That which we have stared at. Then the next one. Which we have touched. He says, I'm not making this thing up. I was there. And so we listen to the word of God. We listen to the word of these eyewitnesses. So, listen up, pay attention. You're not just dealing with another motivational speaker on public television giving you tips on life, love, and the pursuit of happiness and self-actualization. You are dealing with the Son of God. How shall we escape if we drift away from this person and this message? The, uh, the experts in interpersonal communication talk about uh, listening skills, and you might think of different levels of listening. Oh, I see that I've labeled it four levels. I think I have just three levels of listening. At its most uh, rudimentary uh, level, listening is simply sensing, like, you know, there's sound striking your ears, vibrating, causing sympathetic vibrations in your inner ear, and that's a kind of listening. But what's a a deeper or a a more thorough kind of listening? Well, thinking about what you're hearing. Hmm, what is that noise? I hadn't noticed it, but now I'm concentrating on it. Oh, I think it's whatever. (laughs) But is there an even higher level? Listen up, listen up, you know, when we, we, we use the word that way. The highest level of listening is actually yielding uh, to the message or responding or acting. (laughs) Which of these levels does the author of Hebrews have in mind? Well, obviously, the top level yield, heed, pay attention, live out, don't drift, don't drift. So the first way to guard ourselves from drifting is to listen. Listen to the, yes, the word of angels, the word of Jesus himself, the word of the eyewitnesses, the apostles, the prophets. Listen. So, how are your listening skills? Do you have disciplines to receive and ingest and respond (laughs) to the Word of God? Or do you depend on Sunday mornings, the ministry of the pulpit, which is a great ministry, do you you count on that as your total spiritual sustenance uh, for the week? To guard yourself from drifting, you need to be in the Word of God, reading, listening, meditating, talking with others. To be self-feeders, not fed from the pulp only from the pulpit i'll let you personalize this but i wanted to give you that application i can exhort you and the word of god can exhort us listen listen up don't don't drift pay attention how what's it look like for you there's no one right way no there's wrong ways each of us finds our own way but somehow we've got to listen To the word of God and that will be spiritual armor I don't claim it's a cure-all or a guarantee but it will take you a long way toward protection and armor against slipping away from our most holy faith the second thing we need to do is to look like a railroad crossing we listen but we also look and we see this one uh, in verse 4 while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will there are things to look at signs and wonders There are proofs, signs. If there's smoke, there's fire. There are indications that this message is a bona fide message. And so we look. We look to these signs and wonders. So, in your imagination, uh, picture a wedding party from the first century. Everybody's having a good time. Uh, In the background, you hear flutes and tambourines. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, no, they've run out of wine. Oh, so embarrassing. And Jesus steps in. And somehow, some way... With power over nature and with compassion for the people, he turns water into wine. Gallons of wine that keep pouring out serving jug after serving jug from these big uh, clay pots. And John calls that a sign. It's a smoke indicating a fire. It is an an indication of who he is and why he came and the power he has and the compassion he has. Look. Look at the signs and wonders. And jump in your imagination to first century uh, hillside. There are a whole bunch of people. There's like maybe 10,000 or 12,000 people on this hillside. And they're listening to Jesus teach. Teach. They have sat down, the Bible says, upon the green grass. But hang on, because they're hungry. Some of them, the Bible says, are growing faint from being hungry. But they're way out in in the countryside and there's no 7-Eleven around. They're in East Texas and there's no signs of civilization or life and they're fainting. So Jesus takes two fish and five pita pockets and somehow i don't some way with power over nature and with compassion for the people he feeds them wow look look at the signs Christianity is a religion that is embedded in space and time. It is embedded in history. It's not just an ethical, you know, uh, follow this for the good life or be a good person. It's, there, there's, there's evidence and there's indications. And the author says, open your eyes, look. Look who this message of the gospel is coming from jump in your imagination. A few years later, still, we're still in the first century, we are peering into a tomb. It's cool. Uh, it's dark. You can hardly see, but there are n- niches in the walls, and they gently set a body into this. It's a family burial crypt, and they put the body, there's all wrapped up, but you know, even then you can tell um, this body's really beat up. They must have Must have been a bad death and they gently put the body there and then they go to the entrance and they're using crowbars and and they roll this big stone into a trough and it's there and it's not going anywhere without multiple people to get it to move the stone away and everyone's very sad and they're very scared. but then a day or two later the ladies come to to finish the burial process and the stone is rolled away and the body is not there open up your eyes look at the signs Christianity is embedded in history. It does take faith to be a Christian. The Bible's clear about that. Without faith, you know, you can't please God, and we are saved by faith. But it's not some blind leap in the dark. It's not believing in spite of your reason. (laughs) The two are joined together, faith and reason and evidence and history, the signs. So to keep from drifting, listen, look, and then stop. Stop your drift. So as your friend, as your part-time pastor, May I speak to you and urge you to not drift from our most holy faith. It does happen, you know. I could name a dozen public figures, Darwin, whatever. And we must be careful to stop this slow, glacial process of drifting away from God. Can I give you some signs that you may be drifting? And this comes, these signs, these come mostly from my own experience in the ministry. They're not directly in our text, but this is what I've seen. One sign is that you find it very easy easy to separate from fellowship. That you quit coming to church, whatever, going to youth group, whatever. And that often is a sign of an internal change of worldview or faith or values. And so if you find yourself on that road, be careful. Do not neglect gathering together, as is the habit of some. But all the more so as you see the day, the day of judgment, the day of the return, all the more so as you see the day approaching, join together and fellowship. Another indication, just from my own experience, that you may be drifting, is that you suppress doubts. I'm not saying you have no doubts. I I think all of us have doubts. I actually think all of us should have some level of doubt. I don't really understand people that don't have some level. But you suppress it and you pretend like everything is fine and you don't talk about it and you go underground. Yeah, be careful. You know where that path leads. At Crossbridge, you are safe. You are among friends. All of us doubt. I doubt. All of us wrestle. Talk about it. Christianity is a strong faith. It can can handle our questions. Be careful about suppressing your doubts. That leads us this way. One other uh, indicator that you may be drifting is a bitter spirit. I think a lot of our drifting from the faith really deals with interpersonal conflict. Parents, pastors, whoever, fellow church members, they're bad, I, I hate them, they're killing me. Bag the thing they're associated with. And if you sense within yourself a bitter spirit, you're a complainer, you're griping about leaders and pastors and professors and parents, (sighs) be careful. That very easily uh, morphs and grows into actually turning away from the faith itself. Okay, so to avoid becoming spiritual casualties we need to listen to the word of Jesus and to the eyewitnesses. Find your own way to do that. We need to look, examine the evidence, the signs, the wonders, miracles, and then put on the brakes and stop. And when we participate in in his power and grace by doing those things, listening, looking, stopping, when we participate with him, he says, I will make up for any deficiencies you have and I will hold on to you and I will save you to the uttermost and I will uh, uh, be your shepherd before you walking throughout your life. Because that's the kind of savior we worship. So listen, look up, and stop your drift heavenly father help us by your power your grace your spirit to do those very things in jesus name we pray amen